practically living those out in community. And along the way, we've been able to hear some stories of people here at Wellspring whose lives have been impacted by um, the culture that those values uh, create. And so um, hopefully, uh, it's been an encouraging time for you, um, maybe a challenging time to, as you think about how can I live those values out better. And hopefully, hopefully it's deepened your desire to engage more fully in what God's uh, plans and designs are for Wellspring as a church. At a conference that uh, our staff went to last year, we learned about this model called the four V's, V for victory. Now I want to share with you. The first one is uh, vision. And by this point, hopefully all of you guys could quote verbatim our mission statement, creating a new normal for the next generation. But we hope that it goes beyond that, just your ability to say it. We hope that when you say it, that it stirs something in you, that you look at that and you say, yes, you know, I've created some new normals in my life. God has come in and redeemed some things, and, and the life I'm living now is, is much greater than the life I was settling for before, or maybe you know other people here who have had some of those transformative experiences, and so when you say that mission statement, it, it stirs something in you. That's our hope. The second V is for values, and each week we've been taking a look at kind of what our four core values are as a church, and you can see those right there and, and read them for yourself, or at least there you are. Okay, And our values tell us how we go about reaching our mission statement. So we want to create a new normal for the next generation by doing these things. And today I'm going to be talking a little bit more about um, the dependence on corporate prayer and God's word as we go a little bit farther into the message. The third V stands for vehicles. And these are the tools that we use to communicate our vision and values. And so things like a Sunday morning service or our small groups called labs groups um, or youth ministry, children's ministry, um, community involvement, community service, um, those types of things. And each of these vehicles um, need to be constantly evaluated to make sure that through those things that our, our vision, our values are being uh, lived out and deepened in people's lives um, passed on to folks in clear and compelling ways. And the final V stands for valuation. They kind of cheated on that one. The, the E is silent. Um, and here, the goal is to define a win. So when we are living out our vision and our values through our vehicles, what does it look like when we hit the mark? When we get it right, what, what would a win look like for us? And they asked us a question at this conference is, does your congregation know what a win is for you? In other words, it's kind of like, what are you measuring as a church? Is it just uh, how many people are here and how much money you're bringing in? Does that define what a win is for you? Or is there something deeper than that? And so we're going to take a look at that question a little bit more as well. Recently, I've been reading a new book um, by a lady named Ruth Haley Barton called Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership. And she was the author of a book that we used a lot last fall called um, Sacred Rhythms. If you were here uh, last fall, we were talking about intimacy with Christ. And in this book, she talks a lot about Moses' leadership. And in particular, she uses um, kind of a metaphor of a burning bush moment for us. And if you remember, you know, in the Bible, God comes to Moses in a burning bush and kind of gives him a vision of what he wants him to do. And this is what she said. 
The title of the little section is called Paying Attention to All Things Burning. For a leader to take time to turn aside and to look is no small thing. In the rush of normal life, we often blow right past the place where God is creating a stir to get our attention. But at the heart of spiritual leadership is the capacity to notice the activity of God so we can join him in it. Amid the welter of possible distractions, an essential discipline for leaders is to craft times of quiet in which we allow God to show us those things that we might otherwise miss. We need time for the chaos in our soul to settle so that we can turn aside to look at the great sights in our own life and seek understanding about what they mean. This is also a practice leaders can carry out together. Recently, in an all-day board meeting, we decided to begin by paying attention to the burning bushes in our life together in ministry. Those places where God's presence was clearly in evidence where he was making himself known in surprising ways. We started out by reflecting on the burning bush moments in Moses' life and then began listing things that we saw as burning bushes in our ministry. The list seemed to go on. Pretty soon, everyone was jumping in and naming evidences of God's activity among us, which is kind of what we've been doing when people have been sharing stories in these past few weeks. As the list grew and each of us told stories about the difference our work was making in the lives of others, the tenor of the meeting became much more positive. By the end of the day, we were aware of a renewed sense of calling. We were convinced that God was with us, and we had a sense of direction regarding many of the issues on our agenda. The decisions we made that day were solid, not so much because we were smart, but because they rested on noticing what God was doing among us and staying committed to the path that God's activity marked out for us. And when I read that, I was really drawn to that last phrase she said there, staying committed to the path that God's activity marked out for us. In other words, how is God already moving in your midst? And then how can you come alongside God and partner with him in in what he's already doing, the path that he's already creating? And, And she says, in order to do that, that we have to slow down and we have to reflect and we have to really notice where the burning bushes are. And so for Wellspring, as we kind of take a step back and an overview of what we're doing, we see evidence of burning bushes and God's activity all around us. The only question is, are we going to follow him down those paths that he's blazing for us or not? This past week, I asked each of our staff and our key volunteer leaders to define what a win would look like in their area. Hey. Strange morning. Um, so I asked them, what would a win look like? So like a year from now, if we look back over this past year, how would you define what a win in your ministry area would look like? So I want to share those with you um, because each one of those requires people like you to be invested in those areas in order for them to really become reality. And so what I'm hoping is I share a few of those things today is that something will stir in you to where you say, man, I'd really love to be involved in that to help make that become a reality in the next year. So we're going to start off with uh, Becca. She's our children's director and serves kids from birth to fifth grade. And her ministry is called Rooted. Um, So here are a few things that Becca said. If these things happen, this would be a win for us. Children excited to come to church to connect with one another, to connect with their leaders Leaders joyfully investing in kids during church and throughout the week. So in other words, they don't just serve their one hour on Sunday morning once a month and really care about kids then. 
like every week when they come to church, they look for those kids and they, they keep in touch with what's going on in their life or maybe even plan something outside of church to hang out with them that it wouldn't be limited that one hour. So that is, uh, is Becca's goal and desire uh, for the next year. Leighton DeGarmo is our middle school director, and he serves kids. Uh, Leighton, stand up and wave right there. That's Leighton. He serves kids grades 6 through 8. God bless him. And uh, this is how Leighton defined what a win would be. For him, it said leaders being present in kids' lives, being active activities, developing deep relationships. And you'll notice a theme as we go through here that it's all about in- investing relationally with people. Presenting the gospel so that kids would grow for Christ, that they would want to share that with others. And then finally, he's got like a little leadership team of some middle schoolers that kind of meet with him and help plan things. And, and another win for him is to be the, those kids were really being role models for what a Christian looked like to their fellow peers um, in the year ahead. So that's Leighton. Justin Amos, our, our, our drummer back here, leads a young adult ministry called Anchored. And here are some wins for Justin. He does a summer internship program that that would have 10 or more people in it next summer. We've had seven one summer, five, four, four this past summer. So um, we'd also like to have some year-round interns, people that maybe are post-college, that um, not sure what they're doing, but they'd like to come and learn more. Um, and here's the big one for him, is he would love to have more mature Wellspring adults, which if you're over 30, you're mature here, okay, um, who would come and be involved with his young adult ministry. This past year, um, Josh and Erica Alden, who are in their mid-30s, uh, came and met on Thursday nights with Justin's young adult group. And we need, he's like, man, I'd love to have two or three more people in their 30s, 40s, 50s who would come and, uh, and model to these young adults what healthy marriage looks like, what it looks like to raise a family and have kids and just, and just care about these young adults, invite them into their lives, have them over for dinner, you know, be a part of what's going on. Stacy Kearns leads our discipling ministries at Wellspring, and we're going under through some significant changes in, in leadership development here. We're really trying to invest in our leaders, make sure they're being discipled and they're being equipped to lead their areas well. And so some wins for Stacy um, would be inspiring Christ-centered uh, following um, of others somewhere. So it doesn't have to be in Wellspring, it could be wherever you're serving, but we want people to be leading well multiplying Christ's likeness into the hearts of others and identifying the next round of leaders and equipping them. Another big area for her is um, we are wanting to develop a Wellspring counseling ministry. We know because people come to us all the time and, and want to be counseled, and you, when you ask around St. Joe, are there Christian counselors, everybody's like, uh, I don't know. I mean, it's very thin out there. So that's our desire is to develop that ministry. So uh, she has been taking classes and reading lots of books. She's going to be going to a conference in October as well to kind of shape kind of what that ministry is going to look like. So some, some goals for the counseling side of that, if we can put that slide up, <clears throat> equipping labs leaders with the tools to effectively shepherd their groups by offering some high-level counseling training. So we want our labs leaders to know kind of how to walk with people through things, develop a counselor's training model to implement next year. And then building a team of people who consider counseling in the church, if not their only ministry, at least their primary ministry. So if you have a background in counseling or a heart for that, Stacy is the person to talk to. She was over there on that side in the red and loves to just wave her hand. And yeah, so <clears throat> that's kind of where we're heading in, in Stacy's area. 
Um, here is a, uh, a favorite new author of ours. His name Paul David Tripp. We went through one of his books this summer, and here's how he described the role of church community in the lives of people. He said, the church is not a theological classroom. It's a conversion, repentance, reconciliation, forgiveness, and sanctification center where flawed people place their trust in Christ, gather to know and love him better, and learn to love others as he has designed. The church is messy and inefficient, but it is God's wonderful mess, the place where he radically transforms hearts and lives. And one of our our key values is is creating a place where there's uh, transformation and healing in people's lives. And in order to do that, you've got to spend time with people. You've got to be willing to get beneath the surface and get beyond just being aware that you have a problem. We all have a problem. (laughs) We're all messed up. But it's getting down to why am I messed up and and how did I get that way and how am I going to get healed? How am I going to change? How am I going to be transformed into the image of Christ? And how do we do that as a community of people together? Jennifer Patterson is our new coordinator of Labs Ministries. And uh, currently, I think we have about eight groups going on this fall, and so her goal is to get another five going in the spring with 30 more people involved. How many of you are in a labs group currently meeting this semester? That's awesome. We'd love to have more and more of you doing that. Uh, Barbara Ritson is our uh, kind of our liaison to the Gilberts and the Food for Kids ministry, and a couple of wins for her in the year ahead is they serve lunch to about 150 kids a day a few blocks from here. Um, is to have a a source of shade uh, on their property because kids start coming like two, three hours before lunch is served and it can get hot. So there's just some tables, there's some things with the city we have to work out with that. And also just that more Wellspringers would come and visit and be invested in the kids and and support stuff they do not only in the summer but in the fall too. They do give out turkeys uh, on a turkey drive and just that a deeper relational investment we've made there. The last one is Sam Donahue. Um, who you've seen her the last few weeks making some announcements about Edison. And a win for her would be that there would be a group of people that would just say, you know what, Sam, I am all in with you on Edison. Whatever it takes, whatever needs to happen, I'm there. Um, Labs groups that might adopt classrooms at Edison to just be present with them, to go to their class parties or, you know, provide just fun activities for kids and mostly just relationship, but just to be a consistent Christ-like presence. And honestly, with her, she had like a list of like 15 ideas. I was like, I can only do two, okay? So, that, but the thing is, is that it's, it's so unlimited, guys. There are so many opportunities, so many people right around us that just are desperate for relationship. And not just relationship, but relationships with people who are reflecting Christ to them. And so, really, it's just a matter of people deciding, yes, I'll do that. And then we can come up with whatever is exciting to you, whatever passion or gift that you have, we can figure out a way to use your passion and gift to invest in people. So Sam, right there, wave her hands. Talk to Sam if you're interested in Edison. A great way to get started is to be there Thursday night. Be at the carnival, be present, get a sense of what that's like, and get your face out there to other people, okay? So as I said before, we're trying to be very aware of where God is moving and trying to come along on, on the path that he's already blazing for us. And we really believe that God has a tremendous plan for Wellspring. But all of these things are going to take a level of involvement from you. You're going to have to create some space and some time in your life to be able to be present with people at some level. And all these dreams and plans that we have or that God is just laying before us bring me around to the, the final value that I want to discuss today. And that's 
a dependence on corporate prayer, corporate meaning together, and on God's word. I want you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. It's page 756. Page 756, Acts chapter 1. So at this point in the story, Jesus has already died, been resurrected. He's already met and talked to the disciples on several occasions, given some instructions about what I want you to do next. And so in this final scene with Jesus in Acts chapter 1, it's when he ascends up into heaven. And so the disciples are, are watching Jesus go up into heaven and kind of disappear into the clouds and then one of the angels gets funny. He's like, what are you looking at? You know, what are you staring at? So, you know, get going. So you see in verse 12, it says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present, and then it lists the names of the disciples, skip down to 14. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And this is important information. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120. So after all was said and done, and the whole horrible weekend took place where Jesus was killed and, but then resurrected, it says there's 120 people left. And Jesus had said, hey, I want you to go out and I want you to, to, uh, to, to spread this word and make disciples over all nations. But he said, I want you to wait because I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit that's going to help you do that. But he doesn't tell them to pray. He doesn't say, go pray. That's just what they did. So my question for you is, why were they praying? And why were they doing it together? Why didn't they just go to their own homes and pray and say, hey, when one of you hears something from God, you know, give us a jingle and we'll get together and get going. So why did they pray, and why did they do it together? Now you give me answers. What do you think? Well, Jesus had talked to them about where two or more of you are gathered in my name, and perhaps they were hoping that by being together communally that that would help bring even more. Okay, he said that Jesus has said where two or more are gathered together in my name, there I am in your midst. So maybe they thought if we get together, Jesus will be present and maybe we'll kind of hear our marching orders. So that's, that's a great observation. They're also probably trying to just make sense of everything that's happened. Okay. Pretty crazy stream of events. So how would praying or being together help do that? They can, being together, they can discuss it together. And okay. Okay, so she says that things have been kind of confusing, and so maybe being together, they can have some discussion and kind of try to make some sense of what was going on. So there was some comfort in being together with folks when you've kind of all been through some pretty traumatic things. Matt? A further memory of being with Jesus in the garden was still fresh in their mind that he was going away to be by himself, and came back and found them sleeping. Jesus put so much emphasis on keep watching and pray. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, good. So he's saying that they might be hearkening back to that time where they were in the garden just recently. 
And Jesus had gone to pray to God to kind of prepare himself for the cross. And he said to his disciples, hey, I want you to stay awake. I want you to pray with me, pray for me. And they had kind of fallen asleep and kind of failed in that. So that maybe they were like, hey, man, we need to, we need to be on alert. We need to be on a watch. We're not going to fall asleep this time. We're going to be praying together. What else? Lots of possible answers. You're just all, all great stuff. Yeah, Randy? God's plan is the Holy Spirit hmm And so they were together with the promise of being empowered by the Holy Spirit. Okay. But why is that better together than by yourself? Um, there's power in numbers. Okay. Yeah, so he said, you know, you're, you're going to wait on this Holy Spirit I'm going to send you. Okay, so imagine being in your house by yourself and the Holy Spirit comes and you're like... All of a sudden, you're feeling powerful. You're speaking in all these different languages you've never done before. You know, it's kind of like when you get good news and nobody else is around. And you're like, hey, woo, you know, all right. As opposed to getting that good news with friends and people that you love. Okay, so when that Holy Spirit came and they were all together, it was like, whoa, we all saw that. We all experienced that. I think prayer, good answers, folks. At least a B minus. But there's something very powerful about coming together to pray. Because there's some things that it communicates that are really important. The first thing to me that it communicates is that there's this dependence on God. The sense that we can't do this without God. If God doesn't show up, this whole thing is going to fail. Okay, so we're communicating that we are desperate for God's intervention here. And I think that the disciples could have definitely said, we are desperate. There's 120 of us against the whole Roman Empire. We desperately need Jesus, okay? The second thing that communicates is a sense of unity. The sense of, hey, we're, we're in this together. We're with you, okay? So that's what corporate prayer does. And I gotta be honest with you guys. This area of corporate prayer is probably one of the weakest areas in our church, I've spent a lot of Friday mornings in my office by myself, praying. And I think that we are not praying because we've become very comfortable. Because we show up on Sunday and there are people in the seats, and man, the music's good, the dude that speaks is adequate, there's good children's ministry going on, we're meeting our budget, Things seem to be going so well. But what is our standard? What is the vision that God has for the church? A guy named Mike Breen uh, wrote a book, and I want to share a little part from this. <clears throat> he says, how did the church go from 120 people, which we just read, in an upper room to more than 50% of the Roman Empire in the course of about 250 years. Simple. They had a way of reproducing the life of Jesus and disciples in real flesh and blood people who were able to do the things we read about Jesus doing in the Gospels. And these disciples did this on purpose. Is that still the baseline we see for all Christians? That we would do the things that Jesus did? and that we see the early disciples doing? Or have we moved the goalpost? 
I have to wonder if we've changed our criteria to match the kind of fruit our communities are producing. In other words, instead of um, comparing ourselves to what we see happening in Acts, we compare ourselves to what we see going on in churches in general. If this is the case, then we are fine with Christians who show up to our churches, who are generally nice, generally nice people, and who do some, some quiet times, they tithe, they volunteer, maybe they even have a little missional bent to them. These are all good things. But I don't think this is the kind of fruit Jesus was referring to when he talked about fruitfulness in John 15. Would those kinds of people change the world like the early church did? Probably not. In truth, I think we are pretty bad at making disciples in the Western church. Why? I look at the life of Jesus, the life of the disciples, the life of the early church, and what they were able to produce with their fruit. And then I look at ours. When we read in Scripture about the texture of their lives and ministry, do we think that ours holds up to it? Even if we have a growing church, do the lives of the people we lead look like the lives of people we see in Scripture? That's the goalpost we should be going after. And so if our goal is just to attract a crowd here on Sunday morning and to have some good music and a good message and some good children's ministry, then, hey, we're doing it. The problem is, is that's not why Jesus came. That's not why he created the church. You can draw a crowd and have good speakers and good music in a lot of places. Sprint Center, most Friday or Saturday nights. The church of Jesus Christ is called to be a revolutionary movement. Not just a place for people to gather. When we were in the beginning of starting Wellspring, we were desperate. And we knew it. We didn't have any people. We didn't have any money. We didn't have a building. Pets' heads were falling off. You get the picture, right? But what we had was a burning bush. We had a vision for what God was calling our church to be. And it was easy to pray back then because God had to show up for this to happen. Guys, I want you to hear this. If you don't hear anything else today, hear this phrase. Prayer isn't desperate until it has a name. Prayer isn't desperate until it has a name. You can hear about all these, you know, kids we want to reach in our neighborhood or food for kids or Edison or middle schoolers or young adults that we want to reach. But if you don't know any of them by name, if you haven't taken the time to get to know their story, then how compelled are you going to be to go and pray for them? Probably not very. You're probably going to leave here pretty unaffected. Prayers aren't desperate until they have a name. When we started Wellspring, our vision had names behind it. We knew hundreds of people personally who we knew were were desperate for change. They were lost. They were broken. They were settling for a life far less than God wanted for them. And so our prayers for Wellspring were infused with the names of people that we were desperate to start a compelling Christian community for. Prayers aren't desperate until they have a name. 
And that takes a, a, a relational investment, an intentional one on your part for that to happen, to get to that place. Guys, we're changing our weekly prayer time to Thursday nights at 9 o'clock in the sanctuary. And each week as we come together, you don't have to pray. Just be there, okay? Other people who don't mind praying out loud will pray for you. We're going to pray about a specific area in our church this week. We're going to be praying for the young adult ministry. We're going to be praying about what would be a win for Justin in those areas that God would do those things. We're going to pray for specific people that he says, hey, here's some folks that I'm praying about, people that I've met at Missouri Western, people that I want to grow in their relationship with Christ. And if 9 o'clock on a Thursday night doesn't work with you, then find some other Wellspring people and find out when it works for you guys and then pray. Our goal is to dream big enough that we have to pray. To dream big enough that it's going to take a movement of God for these things to happen. The reason why we don't pray is because our dreams are too small. When we think about what we want to accomplish as a church, a lot of times we think about it in terms of what I can pull off in my own ability. Well, I can do that. We've got enough talented people to do this, this, and this. We really don't need God to show up, so we don't really pray. We're done doing that here. We're done not getting together to pray. Or I'm walking. Just want to make sure you're still awake, okay? This is like Walker, Texas Ranger talk this morning, all right? If I had a big stick, I'd be carrying it, all right? But guys, I'm serious, man. We've gotten really comfortable here. And when we talk about what those wins are, every one of those wins has names behind them. Those are people. Those are kids right now living in homes around here that are desperate for somebody to love them. Those are kids at Edison, teachers there that need our help and support. There's middle schoolers over there every week that are at a pivotal time in their life and they need help. There's young adults who are in their early 20s or getting ready to graduate that don't know what they're doing with their life or, or what their life's going to be about that need people praying for them. And we can't just sit around anymore and be good enough, you know, coming and having a great service on Sunday morning and calling it, wow, Wellspring's successful. That's not good enough. God created the church to be a movement, folks. Finally, I don't think I need to make an argument that as a church community of Christ followers that we have to depend on the word of God. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about that. Guys, God's word is the only weapon that we have against the enemy. And what he wants to do to kill, steal, and destroy our lives personally, our church, and the world that we live in. And so as followers of Christ, we need to know God's word. We need to dwell in it. We need to live it. We need to share it with others. This semester, starting next week, I'm going to be looking at Romans chapters 5 through 8. Some of the most pivotal writing that Paul does on some of the basic doctrine of what it means to be a Christ follower. And so hopefully that's going to help just equip you more with who you are in Christ and what he's done for you. <clears throat> but guys, my desire <clears throat> this past month or so as we've looked at our vision and values is to create no middle ground. And what I mean by that is either you are excited and compelled by the vision of our church and the values, how we're going to go about doing it, and how we define wins here, which for us has changed lives, or you're not. If you are excited about it, then get on board. 
Get invested. Talk to one of those people today and say, hey, I want to help you win. I want to invest my life into that. And if you're not excited about that, if nothing's moved in your heart today, then go find a church where something does move. It doesn't matter to me whether it's here or someplace else. I just want you to be fully alive and fully engaged wherever that is. So I'm giving you freedom to leave, okay? But guys, I don't want anybody in between. I don't want anybody that just shows up, punches their card, and goes home. That's not what a disciple is. We're to be like Jesus. And Jesus was desperate that people would know him, desperate that people's lives would change. We have to have that similar desperation or we are not following Christ. We might call ourselves Christians, but that's not really what we're doing. So are you in or are you out? Or are you in someplace else? Whatever it is, figure it out. Pray about it. Get on board. Talk to people if you need to so we can help point you in the right direction. But we're moving forward, guys. Too much brokenness out there, too much pain, too many people, too many people in here that are hurting. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're reminded as we come to the communion table that we all um, eat from the same loaf. God, that we are one body. And you've given us all different gifts here, and we might all have different passions. But Father, they are to be used for you to advance your kingdom, to bring light and to bring hope and to bring love and grace and truth and forgiveness and healing to people who need it. God, and it begins with us. If we're not receiving those things from you, then we certainly can't give them away to others. So God, as we come to your table today, help us to remember that that you delight in us. Help us to remember how desperate we are, that we need you. And God, move us. God, help us to just not just go through the motions. There's too much at stake. Stir something up in us. Awaken us, God. And use this time today as we just sit silently before you, before we take communion. God, just for us to pour out our hearts, but Lord, for us to get in touch with your heart and how desperate you are that that everybody knows you. Lord, you say that, that your desire is that none should perish. God, wake us up today. Hear our prayers as we give this time to you.